Markham, Richmond Hill, Vaughan. From everywhere you are. Aurora, Newmarket, East Willemberry. This is The Feed. Georgina, King, Whitchurch, Stovall. The Feed is York Region's only news magazine dedicated to the issues, events, and stories that matter to the people that live and work here. Welcome to The Feed. I'm Ann Romer. On the show, hunger and food insecurity here in York Region. How you can help. Nicolina Bozzo, in her own words about her own show, and ready for the FIFA World Cup. But we begin with your money because your money matters. High inflation, never-ending interest rate hikes, and yes, the looming threat of a recession, all doing quite a number on consumers here in Canada. A recent Nanos poll suggesting that close to half of those surveyed say that their finances have worsened in the past year, and a whopping 64% expect things to deteriorate further in the next six months. So what effect are these fierce financial fears having on small and medium businesses and is this psychology of negativity when it comes to our money changing our behavior as consumers? Dan Kelly from the Canadian Federation of Independent Business joins us on the feed to help us understand what's going on. Hi, Dan. Good to be with you. And great to be with you. Thank you. So we realize that this perfect storm, as we've been calling it, a financial issue that is affecting all Canadians, for the most part, is having quite an effect on how we behave as consumers. What impact is that having on small and medium businesses from coast to coast to coast? You know, it's it's pretty bad right now for small businesses. Business optimism has dropped to levels that we saw in 2020. Uh, and, and of course, optimism was falling off a cliff at that stage. Uh, so this is this is pretty worrisome. We've fortunately got the pandemic restrictions behind us, but the legacy of debt that that is looming over small business people, the massive cost increases that they're facing, uh, as as well, of course, the shortage of labor uh, and uh, on, and perhaps uh, rumors of a recession. These are all holding uh, small businesses back from getting back anywhere close to normal. So the Bank of Canada, in their most recent rate hike, 50 basis points, which normally you would think, wow, that was a lot, but it was a little smaller than we've seen in the past, but it still has a profound effect on our spending habits, and that in turn impacts businesses. It sure does. Look, uh, there's two things going on. One, business interest rates affect businesses too. They're see, they've taken on a ton of debt. On average, about $150,000 in fresh debt just to get past the last couple of years. So they're now paying higher interest rates on the money they borrowed to survive the recession, or sorry, survive the pandemic. And then on top of that, of course, that's sapping consumer dollars. Uh, so if the price of basics, the price of your mortgage or rent payment has go- has gone up, that now means that more more you know dollars that are taken away from shopping in a small business uh, or taking a trip or any of those other things that that business people depend upon. Uh, so the consumer impact is is also uh, very very significant at this point in time to the point where right now across Canada fewer than half of small businesses report that their sales are back to pre-pandemic levels. Wow. Over half of them have said that they're not even back to normal sales yet. And then, of course, they're facing these cost increases in debt on top of all of that. Let's talk about the psychology of all of this. And it's the psychology of negativity. And I quote you on that one. You know, we talk about the financial side of things, and it's it's quite impactful and pretty tough for businesses. But psychologically, it's got to be devastating. It sure is. I mean, gosh, there were, remember only a few short months ago, there were predictions that, you know, as we ease pandemic restrictions, that we'd be moving into these boom times uh, where consumers crawled out of their basements and, and mm. of course, packed with dollars that they had saved during the pandemic. Would, you know, everybody would be uh, rich in the small business community as consumers returned. Well, that never happened. Uh, and in fact, uh, you know, costs went through the roof, debt was high. Uh, but now we're facing consumers that are feeling the pressure of inflation themselves, so they're not going back, at least not going back in sufficient volume to make many businesses a go. Uh, and that's why there are so many businesses that are hanging on by their fingernails right now, and, and, and I worry that a protract, even a small recession could push many of them into bankruptcy. They're, right now, a lot of business owners are saying, look, I, I've I've hung on this long. I want to see if we're going to get back to better economic times. But if that doesn't happen, I'm done. And to whom do I turn in the keys to this business? So between now and the 
possible recession, which they're saying could happen by the end of the year. So we're talking the month of November. This is traditionally the start of holiday shopping, Black Friday, all kinds of things that that are to get the consumer to open up their wallets. What do you suggest is going to happen in Canada this time around? And, And what is it that small and medium businesses are hoping for? Well, look, they're they're hoping for a, a whole bunch of things, uh, some some relief of some of the cost pressures. Uh, look, there, you know, a recession certainly could ease the shortage of labor, which is something that <clears throat> almost universally is felt right now by by businesses. They're they're really struggling to find staff, uh, so a recession means that there may be some layoffs, and that could ease temporarily the shortage of labor, as as sad as that is. Um, but in the months ahead, uh, as we look to the holiday season, retailers are not optimistic like they typically are about having great months. Uh, everyone's uh, everyone's budget is at, at home is constrained. Then when you look at the beginning of 2023, we have a CPP premium increase followed by an employment insurance premium increase. Those mean that every Canadian working Canadian's paycheck will go down on January 1st. Every com- employer's payroll budget will also be further constrained that's going to make a bad problem even worse. So the first thing businesses need from government is, is, is some help not making the problem even worse, more challenging for them. But that's what governments seem intent to do. Um, so the, you know, we need some relief from some of these cost pressures. Getting some progress on credit card processing fees would be a big help. Uh, lowering and, and taking off the table some of the tax hikes like carbon tax, EICPP, if we could at least freeze those at current levels, that would be a big help. Uh, so these are some of the practical suggestions we're making to ministers of finance right across Canada. And are they listening to you, Dan? Uh, we sure hope so. Of course, uh, you know, we have budgets coming up early in the new year. There is still time for governments to take corrective action on this. Uh, I am hopeful that on the credit card processing fees, these are, you know, there's there's fees of perhaps up to 2%, 2.5% in some cases, that, that when we use our credit card, the merchant actually pays. Um, so yeah, we do need some help from from governments and other and other businesses to try to to try to ease some of the pressures on small and medium sized companies. But there's something consumers can do, and and that is, you know, dedicate a chunk of their consumer spend if they possibly can to the local independents in their backyard. Secondly, when you do shop at a local business, if you choose to pay with cash or with your debit card, that makes a huge difference in the in the amount that the business can actually keep uh, to pay their employees or to perhaps uh, keep the business going. Is there anything that businesses and business owners can do to attract and keep their customers? Yeah, look, businesses are desperate to do that. They're feeling huge cost pressures themselves, and many are holding back on price increases that they really need to do in order not to alienate further their their customer base. Uh, many have tried to find efficiencies in their in the way that they're doing business, uh, but they really need the you know the. They, they really do need support of consumers to do that. Many businesses are finding that, you know, the Canadians love small and medium-sized businesses. But, of course, during the pandemic, a lot of shopping patterns changed. It went online and usually to online giants. And, of course, big box stores were big winners, too. Uh, if we can get some of that traffic back to smaller and medium-sized companies, that would be a big, big help. And how do we change the mindset, then, of the consumer who, as you say, through the pandemic, went online and did a lot of purchasing and also spent a great deal of time spending money in big box stores? And they were very successful through the pandemic. How do we change the mindset of the consumer to want to turn his or her attention to medium and small businesses and local businesses? Well, for, for businesses themselves, one of the things they can do is make sure that they are serving clients the way that they wish to be served. And if that means going online, more and more small firms are doing just that. Um, and this is where the credit card processing fee come into play. Uh, a small merchant that, that, that sets up an e-commerce site pays even higher rates to process credit card transactions, and that's what fuels e-commerce in Canada. If we can, if we can shift some of that, uh, if we can lower some of those costs, that'll be, give business, smaller firms a, a fighting chance of setting up their own e-commerce site. Um, uh, that's something that's something that business owners can do. Consumers, of course, many are are fairly intentional these days. They they do think about how they spend their consumer dollars, uh, and that's a good trend. We need that to continue, uh, so that more and more consumers can say, you know what, uh, you know, if, if we want these local businesses to exist in our backyards. 
we got to support them. Otherwise, they're going to be gone. All the economic activity, donations to community clubs and, and local groups, that goes away. Uh, so being intentional, uh, intentional of, of how we shop, where we spend our money, that, that certainly can help many small firms in the days ahead. So let's identify then the, the three layers of business, if you will, when it comes to uh, to what we're talking about right now, which is the struggle for low and for, for small and medium businesses. It's how important are those smaller local businesses to the entire economic fabric of of consumer uh, desire and also the 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 importance of the creation and maintenance of small and medium businesses? How important are those two levels of of business? Such a such a great question. Look, small firms are huge contributors to the local economy. Uh, about half of Canada's GDP is made up of small businesses, not just the big guys. Uh, half of our gross domestic product as a, as a nation comes from small and medium-sized firms. 60% of employment in, in private sector is in small and medium-sized firms. Uh, and, and, and they contribute massively uh, to all of the community groups and organizations that are out there. Look, if you're, if you're trying to raise money for your kids' sports team, you don't go to the big box stores. You don't go to the, the, the large chains or, or big companies. Uh, they're likely to have you send in a letter that you'll never hear a reply to. You go to the local restaurant, the, the locally owned retailer, uh, or the, the local bake shop to try to, to, try to get a donation or, or, or prize for a, for a silent auction. Um, and I think we forget about those kinds of things. They're you know, big employers, small firms are big employers uh, and big contributors to our local economy, uh, to the tax base that, of course, uh, we depend. The other thing that really was proven during during recessionary times uh, is that small firms may be a little slower to hire, but they're also a lot slower to fire. They tend, because it's more of a family-friendly atmosphere where the employees and the business owner know each, uh, each other, a business owner does everything they can to hang on to their staff when times get tough. In large companies, they they suddenly announce thousands of layoffs uh, when when times get tough because they have, of course, uh, the stock market to to uh, that that ultimately determines their direction. Uh, small firms are a big insulator in in economic times, and they do hang on to staff much much better. Uh, research has shown. You know, the bottom line is, uh, and particularly these days. The, the buyer, the consumer wants a good deal because they're dealing with issues when it comes to their own finances. More often than not, the big box stores can create a, a, a discount uh, bonanza, whereas local, smaller, medium-sized businesses cannot. It makes it very tough for consumers to remain loyal to medium and small businesses when they can get a really great deal from a big box store. Absolutely. And look, I, I, the message from small businesses is, is not to avoid large companies. Uh, you know, so small firms also buy from large businesses themselves. But we need to think about the full cost of what we're doing. If you're going out and you're driving half an hour to go to the big box stores to save two bucks on, <laughs> on, on a particular item, more than the small firm, you know, a bigger discount than a small firm can afford to offer, you really have to think about the full cost of that, not only your time, uh, but also the the you know the fuel costs being where they are, uh, and, and I and I guess we urge consumers to of course they need to pursue their you know their own best interests and and these days saving money is important across the board, but really think about where you're buying and if you can dedicate a chunk of your spending to local businesses in your backyard that can make a big difference too. Dan Kelly, Canadian Federation of Independent Business, thank you for your time on the feed. Much much appreciated. Anytime at all. Next, how young people are fighting for their financial future. Kevin Frankish with that story. Sometimes as parents, we uh, don't give our adult kids enough credit when it comes to credit and their finances. But according to a new RBC survey, young adults are actually very engaged in their finances. To break down the survey for us is Jason Storsley, Senior VP of Everyday Banking and Client Growth at RBC. Hi, Jason. Hi, Kevin. So this is, uh, it's kind of interesting, and especially being a parent myself, our, our first assumption is, oh, these kids don't know anything about a buck these days. Yeah, I was surprised also as a parent. When we ran our survey, we did notice that the perceptions parents have of the young adults 
on multiple aspects of finances really differed greatly from how young adults themselves responded and how they see themselves. So what did the survey tell you? Yeah, we learned a couple of things. Um, first of all, young adults are much more engaged than their parents thought they were when it comes to managing their finances. In fact, 59% of young adults felt they were either very or extremely engaged in their finances. But only 47% of parents uh, had that same perception of their youth. Uh, when it came to planning for the future, again, young adults are much more involved in planning for their future than their parents gave them credit for. Uh, saving for a house is a great example. 32% of young adults said they were already saving for a house but only 23% of their parents felt that was happening. So again, parents uh, having kind of under-perceiving the degree of investment and involvement in finances that youth actually have. Did, did any of the results surprise you? You know, I think the marked difference between the two groups was surprising. And, and, you know, the best explanation I can come up with is it's quite possible that parents are overlaying the challenges that they had as young adults on today's current generation of youth, when in fact they face very different challenges. And our survey touched on this as well. We asked youth what their uh, largest challenges were when it comes to finances, and they said the biggest, by far, 70%, said the biggest challenge was cost of living, followed by inflation at 54%. But when we asked parents, on the other hand, what their main challenges were when they were young adults, 44% of them said finding a job they like, and 35% of them said finding a job that pays well were their biggest challenges. So again, marked differences in the problems of the past when our parents were youth and the problems of today's youth. It's interesting how not only the times uh, can shape how someone addresses their finances, but also what their parents' experience was can shape the way that we think youth are, uh, are handling their finances, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a really good point. What we, what we found as well in our survey, as much as youth may think that their parents' generation was quite different, they are still longing for that interaction with their parents to talk to them more about money and finances. In fact, the survey showed that nearly two-thirds, 64% actually, of youth wish their parents talked to them more about money and finances. So for me as a parent, that was just a great reminder that there is an opportunity in front of me to become more involved and involved earlier in the financial journey of our youth to help relieve them of some of the stressors that they face in trying to sort out their financial futures. I find this fascinating because you have here what on the surface appears to be a survey about finances. But if if we scratch away a bit of the surface, we find that there is probably just as much, if not more, results and answers here that deal with family dynamics, communication. Uh, do, do you find that? Yeah, there, there's an aspect of that for sure. I mean, we found that youth are broad in the way they collect relevant financial information. They're using their parents. They're using social media. 25% would say they use social media like TikTok and Instagram. Friends was another one and online articles. But they still value those conversations with parents. But what was interesting, another uh, difference in, this, in the survey between parents and youth is youth are uh, 71% of youth said they uh, rely on their parents, but only 44% of their parents felt that was the case. So again, there's that um, dependency and reliance that you still have on their parents when it comes to financing and manage managing finances. Yeah, do you ever think of becoming maybe a family counselor instead of, uh, of uh, working with um, everyday banking and client growth? You know what? I mean, sometimes I think a, a, at least a minor in psychology might have helped in this day and age in trying to understand some of the generational differences between the between the demographics. But I will say, you know, when it comes to advice and counsel, there's a few things that you know, I would recommend as resources for both parents and youth alike. And there's a couple of tools that, that we found uh, certainly very valuable. One is there's a free um, financial resource online called Personal Financial Essentials, and you can find that in an online search. It's actually a, a collaboration between RBC, McGill, and the Globe and Mail, and it's really designed for Canadians of all ages uh, to enhance knowledge and skills when it comes to financial literacy. That's a free resource that I think is, is very valuable to both parents and, uh, and youth. 
Um, our survey found that there's a lot more youth that are looking to be entrepreneurial and start a, a bit of a side hustle. Um, and RBC's Future Launch program can certainly help young adults grow their network, learning the skills necessary to build a successful business. Uh, and then lastly, for the youth of today who have a huge interest in investing, but they're trying to figure out you know, how to do this um, in a risk-free environment without losing and potentially putting their money at risk. So RBC Direct Investing the practice account, which they'll give you 100000 in uh, practice money. You'll have full access to their uh, direct investing online trading platform, and you can invest in stocks and bonds and watch your earnings grow and understand the risks of, uh, of investing in, a, in an online environment. So there's a few resources for parents and youth alike that can help them build their financial literacy. I would like you to send me $100,000 in practice money. Yeah, the catch is it's risk-free, but I'd be happy to do it. <laughs> so what was the initial resource uh, name again? It, it went by quickly. I just want to make sure people know about that free resource. No problem. It's called Personal Financial Essentials. And if you do an online search, it's going to come up as, as the top search item. And that's a collaboration between RBC with McGill and the Globe Mail. And it's free. Are kids even thinking about retirement right now? I know that I know it was very strong when we were young and you were always told to plan for retirement. Is that still a thing? You know, it is a thing. It's a thing far more than, than we thought it was. And I, I myself was surprised in the survey, but 19% said they were already saving for retirement. And so I think sometimes we underrepresent the resourcefulness of our youth to think about the future and actually plan for the future. I know when I was a youth, I wasn't saving for retirement when I was 18 to 24, but today's 18 to 24 uh, cohort are thinking about it, they're saving for it, and they're telling that, uh, telling us that in the survey. All right, Jason, thank you so much for this. My pleasure, Kevin. Thanks for having me. All right. Jason Starsley, Senior VP of Everyday Banking and Client Growth at RBC. When we come back, food bank use is up, way up. Do you have a story idea for the feed? Call us at 416-335-1059 or email info at 1059theregion.com. Ann Romer and more of the feed coming up. This is 1059 The Region. Welcome back to The Feed. Food bank use in this country rose to its highest level in Canadian history this year, according to a shocking report released by Food Banks of Canada last week. The Food Bank of York region right here in our own backyard issued its annual report just a few days ago, and the news is also concerning. But there are suggestions and solutions. Alex Bellotta is the founder and CEO of the Food Bank of York region. Here's his belief. With faith and perseverance, we will continue to grow our capacity until there is no more hunger in York Region. Words to live by, Alex. Thank you, by the way, Alex, for joining us here on the feed. Good to have you with us. Yes, thank you very much, Anne. So your report on hunger was released earlier this week. What stood out to you in it? Uh, well, for our report, which is uh, for the fiscal year 2021, we noticed that the total number of unique individuals actually went down by almost 7.5%. The total households that we serve is down 13.15%, but the visits is up almost 17%. So what that tells me is that although there's fewer people accessing a food program within York Region, they're actually visiting more times. And uh, so one of the reasons that we found... Uh, for this drop, which, it, it, you know, across the country we've been receiving news that, uh, you know, it's gone up. The reason it's dropped is because during the pandemic we lost about 25% of our agencies. So I'm a little bit confused. The Food Banks of Canada report out last week, 1.5 million visits in March, up 15% from the same time last year, 35% higher than 2019 pre-pandemic. So what was that snapshot of? What, what are time frame are we talking about? And why are, is your report a little bit different from theirs? Well, they use a different time frame. So we, we went from January to December of 2021. And Food Banks Canada uses uh, uh, data from just the month of March in 2022, which was after CERB and after the Canada Recovery Benefit. 
I saw in that report, in the Food Banks of Canada report, a couple of startling facts, and I wanted to bring them to your attention, and if you can talk about what we see locally here in York Region. The first, approximately one-third of food bank clients are children. I mean, I want to stop right there and, and explore that. What do you see in York Region in terms of age groups? Well, yeah, we're, we're about that same number as well, although I, the same report from Food Banks Canada said that over the last few years we've seen a decline, but still that, that number is still alarming, around a third of food bank users are children. So, um, yeah, we, we, we're currently looking towards providing food to schools across the region so that we can, we can attack that demographic or we can work on that demographic. And here's another startling statistic. This came courtesy of the University of Saskatchewan, a survey suggesting that 20% of Canadians are skipping meals in order to cut down on food costs. Yes, so we call that severe food insecurity. So there are people that can go days without food. And that's, that's really the term that we use rather than the term hunger because it seems a little bit, to me anyway, it seems a little misleading to use that term, so we use the term severe food insecurity. Alex, can you give us an, a, a, an overview of what the Food Bank of York Region is, how it operates, what it represents, and what it tries to do? So the Food Bank of York Region is a food distribution hub, so we collect and deliver uh, fresh and frozen products as well as dry to our network of around 80 food pantries, community food pantries, social service agencies, and social housing, and now to five schools across the region. We have partnerships with uh, Walmart, with, with Costco, with Sobeys, uh, Longos, and other retailers across the region. So how are people accessing what you have? How are clients accessing what the Food Bank of York Region has to, to give? Well, we're not a direct service agency, so they have to go to one of our community partners. So if they want to access a food pantry within their community, they'll, they'll have to go to their local community food pantry to access the food that we provide. And can you give me an idea of what the client is? Who is the client? Without, of course, not naming names, but are we talking about people who are unemployed, low income, uh, uh, the, those who are on seniors' fixed incomes, children, as we just mentioned? The majority of people that are accessing a food program within York Region are um, um, renters and people living on social assistance. So here's my question, and, and I mean this with the greatest respect for, for everyone living in York Region, everyone working and thriving in York Region and caring about York Region. It is a very wealthy region compared to perhaps other spots in and around this, this great nation of ours. How is it that there is increased food bank use or the need for it uh, over the past few years and in the years to come, and, and food insecurity, how can that possibly be? Well, food banks have kind of evolved since the 1980s when the first food bank was open, I think, in Edmonton. Um, food banks now have much healthier food choices. They have fresh and they have frozen and they've been investing a lot of money in refrigeration so we can bring more nutritious food to people. And so, and they've also, uh, you know, when I first started over a decade ago, food banks and food pantries were only providing about three days worth of food and they're now up to two weeks and there's one food bank in particular that provides up to a month's worth of food. So I, I think that's where the difference is. People are now finding it a much more helpful and a healthier choice to go to a food bank. But there is the need, and that's what is so concerning to so many of us. And after last week's report, Food Banks Canada, and, and your report earlier this week, the, the need is still great. And in many cases, because of higher interest rates, inflation is soaring and continuing to be an issue, yes. and the threat of a recession, mm -hmm. and so on. And affordability is just th through the roof in terms of not being affordable for anyone and at any level of income. Um, that what does that mean to a client who is either contemplating uh, using or, or accessing what a food bank has to offer or or already uh, a client? Well, we hope that 
I mean, for some people, there's a stigma about going to a food bank or food pantry, and we hope that we just, I just want to tell people out there, you know what, there are people at these food pantries that are very good at what they do. They're going to make you feel comfortable. They're going to help you out, and they're there to help you. So don't be afraid to go to a food pantry. And unfortunately, I, I see, you know, if, if the economic outcome doesn't look favorable, I think things are, you know, matter, things are just going to get worse in the economy. And uh, don't be afraid to go to the, your local food pantry for help. Reach out. Is it true that we're hearing that parents, caregivers are skipping meals, going full days without food so that they can feed their children? Yes, that's true. Yeah, that's heartbreaking. What can be done? Let's first of all talk about government levels, all levels of government. What do they need to do in order to deal with this problem and to to help to solve it short-term and long-term? Well, um, our report has three recommendations. First, we want all levels of government to continue to uh, promote, to provide resources to food rescue programs and food distribution models like ours, uh, because we also, you know, we help prevent food waste. There's so much surplus food that goes to waste in this country, and that in itself is, is as far as I'm concerned, is unconscionable. Like. And that food needs to be diverted to people who require food support. Uh, the next thing we want them to do is to build more affordable housing because 86% of all food bank users uh, are, are living on social assistance and they're, they're renters. Um, the third thing we want them to do is to address the disparity between low income and the cost of living, so to increase OAS, ODSP, Ontario Works benefits to people that, that, that so they can afford to buy their own food without getting assistance from a food pantry or another food access program. That's a very, very challenging and very sad problem right now that is not going away. What can we, citizens of York Region, what can we do to make a difference? Well, you can support your local community food pantry, and you can also support the work that we do as the food distribution hub at the Food Bank of York Region. You can go to www.fbyr.ca slash donate, and you can give online. Um, You can give a one-time donation, or you can give a monthly donation. You can also uh, encourage your friends to run a food drive or a fundraiser. And we can help you with both of those things. You can just call our office or you can even go online and there are resources online to help you with that. Alex Bellotto, you are the founder of the Food Bank of York Region. I thank you for that and currently the CEO. Thanks for that as well. And I really appreciate your time on the feed. Thanks, Anne. With food bank use on the rise, even in our own backyard, we are also seeing local cities and towns experiencing an increased need for municipal services. Here's Tina Cortez with the Community Hub and how it works. Bradford West Willenberry has been selected as one of the recipients of the Green and Inclusive Community Buildings Program. For this area, it means an unused school building will be put to good use. With the details is War 2 Councillor Jonathan Scott. Welcome to the feed, Jonathan. Thanks for having me. Tell us about the history of this building and what's in store for its future. Well, it was the main elementary school in Bradford for much of the last 80 years. Uh, The oldest portion of the building dates from the 1950s. I went to this school myself and it's uh, been vacant. It was surplus to the school board's needs. about five years ago, the town acquired it, and we've had a vision to transform it into a, a small community center of about 28,000 square feet. And this uh, federal grant is really going to help us uh, enable that vision to become a reality. It's under renovations right now, and the, the grant really just makes the financing a home run. And when do you think the community center, this multi-purpose facility, will be up and running? It should open uh, this spring into early summer. Uh, We were a bit delayed in the oldest portion of the building this summer, but the contractor is quickly trying to make that time up. You know, it's going to be a fantastic facility. It will house our food bank, 
a beautiful uh, big meeting hall with commercial kitchen, and then a whole bunch of other uh, rooms that can be booked for for programming, for uh, maybe small business resource center, maybe uh, some more social services, and as well as just uh, places for seniors to meet and play cards. So it's going to be a a really great uh, center for the community and really an older part of our town. So, Jonathan, is this new for this area? And and if it is, why now? Well, I guess the community hubs concept isn't new exactly, but it is certainly new for Bradford. And repurposing an older school is something that uh, the provincial government has been encouraging municipalities and school boards to work uh, collaboratively on. I think it's a way to keep a public building in public hands, to repurpose it. And as part of the renovations we're doing, we're going to cut the utility costs in half and reduce greenhouse gases uh, from the building by nearly as much. So it's not only good for the social infrastructure of our town, it's good for our environment. And financially, I mean, a, a $28,000 square foot building could be anywhere between 20 to $30 million to build brand new. We're getting this for a $7 million renovation plus the land costs, and the federal government's paying uh, more than half of the total uh, budget when you include the land cost and the renovations. You also mentioned the integration of the food bank. How will that be incorporated into this building, into this site? Yeah, so basically the food bank's going to occupy about 4,000 square feet out of the 28,000 square feet total uh, in the northeast uh, corner of the building, which uh, for anyone of my generation was the kindergarten at the school. And the food bank has existed in a small bungalow and uh, neighboring storage room not far away in the same neighborhood down the street, essentially, but it's well outgrown that space. And so for the thousand people a month who need to use the food bank, particularly uh, as we're facing the rising price of groceries and gas, but also the hundreds of volunteers who who run the food bank, this is going to be a beautiful new space. Uh, they actually secured a grant from the Provincial Ontario Trillium Fund to help cover some of their costs to outfit their new space, and they're going to continue to fundraise. But it it's a big change for our food bank, a positive one, but they're, they're going from a small facility to a much bigger one that will meet the need of their their clients. You said that the food bank has outgrown its current space. That's not a good thing, is it? No, it's not. I mean, food banks really started as sort of a, a stopgap measure in the late 80s and 90s, but they've really become part of our, our social infrastructure for people falling through the cracks. And in the past uh, two or three years during the pandemic and then the the inflation that we're seeing in the economy right now, the food bank's busier than ever, uh, right when the cost of groceries and gas is more expensive than ever. So it's uh, it, it's been really my privilege to serve as the council liaison on the food bank board because we're, we're trying to raise more funding than ever to cover a greater need than ever when costs are higher than ever. So it's, it's a uh, it's a really important part of our community, and especially with the holiday season coming up, I actually had a phone call with our executive director just this morning thinking about all the year-end fundraising we need to do uh, to continue to sustain the food bank as it not only serves more clients than ever, but anticipates moving into this bigger space in order to do so. What are you hearing from your constituents, from the residents of this area? I think most people, uh, especially people who... Uh, take the time to look into it and see that this is going to be a beautiful new facility that repurposes a building many of us have fond memories of, and it's going to do it very affordably, you know, all in the entire building is going to cost about $12 million, including the land and the renovations. Five and a half million is being paid for by the federal government. And uh, we know what a new building would cost. It would cost more than double that. So value for money is there uh, in spades. The environmental benefits of retrofitting a you know nearly 80-year-old building in parts are, are very clear as well. And then the social infrastructure of having a new community center that will serve the population in general, but I think especially our most vulnerable, is, uh, is a series of wins all, all stacked on top of each other. It's good for our environment, it's good for the town's finances, and it's really going to be good for, for the social infrastructure of our community. What type of fundraising do you have planned specifically for the food bank to, you know, help it through the holiday season that is just around the corner? Yeah, I think uh, we're going to be launching that on Giving Tuesday. Uh, last year, the food bank raised just uh, over $100,000 in the holiday season. And what that did was it paid for uh, 
the annual Christmas food hamper basket that they do for clients, particularly seniors and families. And then it also uh, gave the food bank a good uh, shot in the arm, so to speak, for the winter months when donations might die down a little bit after the holidays. So I think we're going to be aiming to do the same through a combination of uh, grassroots fundraising, uh, media, getting the word out, but also uh, there, there is sort of a really kind of snowballing effect that seems to happen every holiday season where businesses, schools, and places of worship always, uh, you know, in, in a good spirited way, almost try to one up each other. Uh, I think there's nothing more like, more Canadian than uh, my church realizing we have to get our donation in because the Amadea Muslim youth group just uh, put us all to shame with their food drive. So it's uh, always a nice uh, way to end the holiday season by supporting others. And I think for a lot of people in town, they know somewhere around, you know, December 22nd, they want to get that last Christmas gift and it's a donation to the food bank. If our listeners want more information about the Helping Hand Food Bank or with the community hub that's coming in the spring, where can they find it? Bradfordfoodbank.ca will uh, get you all the details. People can donate some securely online there. And in terms of the community hub project, there are details up on the town's website at townofbwg.com. Thank you for your time, Jonathan. My pleasure. Thank you. After the break, Pitch Perfect on stage and on the field. Follow us on Twitter at 1059 The Region. Ann Romer and more of the feed after the break. This is 1059 The Region. Welcome back to the feed. I'm Ann Romer. The FIFA 2022 World Cup is weeks away. Jim Lang with a player and a preview. On his Instagram, he is known as Mark the Wiz with three Zs and with an incredible photo that's the screensaver for a lot of people around this country qualified as a member of this national team. They'll be competing in the World Cup of Qatar November 23rd against Belgium. He's a champion with York University in OEA in 2013, and he's a real inspiration. A lot of people playing soccer around this country. Mark Anthony Cates, an absolute pleasure. Nice to meet you. Thank you, Jim. Appreciate it. What an introduction. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I'm old enough to remember the last time Canada was in the World Cup in 86. And, and year after year in qualifying, it was disappointment after disappointment. I, I don't know how to explain it for me and other Canadians, how emotional it was to see you and your fellow Canadians qualify and what it meant for us as a nation. Yeah, it was a huge moment. Obviously, I don't think you were the only person asking those questions, right? I think uh, a lot of us growing up asked those questions if we'd ever be in a World Cup. So to to finally do that, to finally qualify in them in the in the way we did it, um, at the I think this World Cup was important timing. You know what I mean? I think after COVID happened, it was a difficult time for the entire world, different time for Canada, and I think you know just our World Cup run. Our, our qualified run really brought the country together and the icing on the top was getting to the World Cup and now we're, we're starting another journey. And Mark Anthony, for years, okay, what country am I going to cheer for? Will I cheer for Jamaica? Will I cheer for Nigeria? You pick a team and now you're cheering for Canadians and I know some friends already who are planning to go to Qatar, no matter how expensive, to bang the drum, be wear John Herbin suits and cheer you guys on. How does that feel? No, it feels amazing. And uh, that was always the question, right? It was like, how is Canada going to react to Canada being in the World Cup? You know what I mean? Because Canada is such a multicultural country that you could find anyone from any country here who's supporting their, you know, maybe family's country in a World Cup, right? You talk about the, the big Italian community here. And finally, Canadians, whatever a Canadian looks like and feels like, gets to support Canada in the World Cup. It's amazing. It's an amazing feeling. And I'm just grateful that we've been able to give this opportunity to the country and, you know, been able to do it in the fashion we did it, but also to be a part of this journey with that group of players, with John Herdman. It's just, it's a, it's a dream come true. Midfield in the national stage is so important because of what it means, especially to facilitate the ball to someone like Alfonso Davies. Uh, before you even get to that point, you're on the pitch. It's November 23rd. You're in Qatar. You're playing Belgium, and they're playing that Canadian national anthem, and you're with your brothers. What's going through your head, Mark Anthony? I don't, I don't know. I get this question asked a lot, and it's just, uh, 
you know, my palms start to sweat when I think about it. Um, you know, very proud to, to, to sing the national anthem on any stage. So to, to be able to do it on the world stage where, you know, back home, everyone is yelling at their, their, their TV as loud as they can singing the national anthem. It's just a prideful moment. And it's just going to remind us of all the sacrifices people around us had to put in to get us there. The sacrifices of our parents from when we were little kids to take us to song. The sacrifices of our girlfriends and our wives who had to spend numerous days away from us as we had to try and endure this long um, journey. So, um, yeah, it's going to be a moment of reflection for sure, a moment of pride. And then, you know, also a moment of, you know, it's going to hype you up. It's going to get you ready to go to battle and uh, get ready to take on Belgium. I know you're pressed for time. So last question, I, I think about you winning the OUA title with the York Lions in 2013 and the nine-year journey to now being a member of the national team for the World Cup. Even No matter who it is on the Canadian team, you guys have all been knocked down by life, knocked down by soccer. You keep going. What is it that keeps you guys bounded together and keeps you guys going to get in this position where you're at the World Cup? I, I, I think, like you said, it's the experience of being knocked down. I think it's to look to the guy beside you who know you know has gone through a similar experience. And you guys could pull off of each other and make sure you push each other to get to the next point. So the fact that so many of our stories are so similar because of the, the, the structure of Canada soccer, the structure of how soccer is in this country. You know, we're changing that. But because, yeah, it, it, it's it's not like England. It's not like Spain. It's not like Portugal. You know what I mean? So there's going to be a lot of people who experience some difficulties through their careers. But that's what makes us strong. That was, That's what makes us um, so passionate about this opportunity. So, um, it, it, again, you know, your scars, your wounds are what make you strong. And I think that uh, all, all the scars that we went through are got us to the, the big stage now i walk around york region all the time the gtha and i see fields filled with boys and girls and men and women playing soccer and it's a big part because of people like you and the national team uh, we can't thank you enough for what you've done for this country for just sports fans for us canadians we needed this and I, we cannot wait for november 23rd at qatar no yeah it's it's an amazing opportunity to inspire younger generation inspire the country but no thank you I, it's not just us it's not just us the players it's all of us you know everyone who's believed in the soccer culture here everyone who supported canada before we were at this stage in, in, on the international level when people tell me, hey, congrats, you're going to the World Cup, I say, hey, you're going to the World Cup too. You know, you supported <laughs> us. Maybe you won't physically be there, but emotionally we're going to feel all, everyone who's ever supported us. So, um, yeah, I'm excited for, for all of us. And no one ever wants to let John Herdman down. No, 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 no. You never <laughs> want to let John Herdman down. And he uh, does everything to get us ready for the battle. So, yeah. The 2022 FIFA World Cup of Soccer kicks off Sunday, November 20th. Canada will open up its Group F play three days later on November 23rd when they'll go head-to-head -head with Belgium. Go, Canada, go. Thank you, Jim. Really appreciate what you guys are doing. Next, Vaughn's own takes the stage, Shaliza Backus and the star on the rise. She has become a household name by now. If you don't know her, you should. Nicolina Bozzo, not Vaughn native and American Idol contestant, joins me in the studio. How are you? I'm so good. How are you? I'm good. So, thank you so much for joining me. We are so excited. We are so happy for you. So proud of thank all the you. strives that you're making in your career. I appreciate it. Local girl <laughs> represents. Come on. And you've been you've been so busy. A lot's been going on since yeah. the show. Well, I haven't stopped singing and performing yes. since I got home. So, yeah. I mean, the dream is happening yes and we are so proud of you and now you Thank are headlining you. your first solo show yeah oh my god that's happening that's happening very soon that's very happening soon. friday november 11th at yes. the velvet underground tell us about that okay so this is again my first headlining show it's going to be a huge night we have a whole band coming strings drums guitar the whole mix um i'm going to be singing some of the songs from idol that people know and love uh some originals some unreleased originals and then some songs that almost made the cut on idol Oh, okay. Yeah. Now, I, I need to know because I think we talked about this before uh, when you joined us on the region during your time on Idol. You Disney night. Disney night. Disney night. You embodied Ursula. Yes. Like, you absolutely killed that performance. I remember that you were telling me that you had your nails to match yeah. your, your I outfit. got my nails changed every week to match my outfit. Yes. So, are, is Poor Unfortunate Souls going to be part of the set list? 
I mean, I, <laughs> I feel like it has to be, right? But like, I don't know. You we'll have to see. come and find out. Yeah, we're have yeah. to find out. Anyway, uh, what else have you been up to since your time on Idol? Well, actually, you know what? Why don't we backtrack a little bit? For Why sure. don't we start like getting to Idol and how everything has progressed through the show and to yeah. now? Yeah. So, I mean, throughout the show, um, it was pretty wild because I got to sing every week and like be on the biggest stage with some of the best crew members in the band and it was just so surreal. Like, I still have not processed that it happened. Um, and then, you know, coming off of Idol, I, I had to keep the dream alive and I had to keep singing and keep gig- keep gigging and all the things. And that's exactly what I've been doing. Yeah. yeah. And now you're just, your name's in lights. Oh my gosh. Everywhere. No, literally, I got a neon sign. Yeah. No, I'm not even oh, okay. joking. <laughs> Where do you have that hung up? Is that hung up in your room? I hope It'll so. be at the show. Oh. It'll be there. Yes. Mm-hmm. We are excited for that. And what else is coming up for you? Do you have any new music? Yeah. So I have some new music coming up. I've been in the studio like day in and day out just recording, you know, new originals and some covers from the show as well because people have been really, really like demanding some of those. So um yeah new music hopefully in like january like we'll have some originals Mm. working towards an album in the new year that is exciting and uh after this solo show do you have any more shows coming up so after this show after the headlining show i do have like a bunch of shows but a lot of them the stuff that i do is like for private event like charity Mm -hmm. stuff and um super happy to always support a great cause so i've been doing a lot of that and then obviously if a a public show comes up oh you know i'm hosting it yes you You already know i'm hosting it yes (laughs) but that it goes back to what i love so much about you that you are so humble you are so true to your roots like honestly i i say this all the time i'm like this girl never forgets where she came from i appreciate that and yeah no like i love you know like even coming back home it was such a huge thing because you're so out of touch with home Mm -hmm. and just your roots so then getting thrown back into it was like the best feeling in the world. Yes. And what are you doing to prepare for the show now that you're this big star? Oh, my gosh. No. <laughs> nothing, no. Anyways. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, I'm just um, singing a lot, obviously, trying to make sure my voice is where it needs to be for the show because there's some big numbers, mm-hmm. some big songs. Um, trying to just make sure I'm good, like, you know, mental well-being, physical well-being, all of that, because, it like, your whole body is your instrument when yes. you're a singer. So I got to make sure everything is in check and I'm good. And lots of planning, of course. Of course. Make sure it runs smoothly. And it's funny you say that because I feel like people don't realize like how much you have to stay in tune with your body as a performer. Like some people just think you just get up on stage and you sing. Like you really have to be taking care of yourself. Well, like I mean, even that like singing is great and it's easy for like a song you know. But when you're performing, like there's the planning there's all the behind-the-scenes work that goes into it, and it, it really is a lot. Like, it's a very demanding job or mm-hmm. career, but at the same time, it's so worth it. Yes. Yeah. At the end of the day, you get to do with what you love. Right, right. Like, I get to—and for so long, music was therapy for me, so now it's like I wake up every day knowing that I get to do something that just makes me the best version of myself. Yes. So and I love it. That's exactly what we love to hear. Yeah. Thank you so much. Nicolina Bozzo going to be taking the stage at the Velvet Underground on Friday, November 11th. If we want to get tickets, where can we go? You can go to nicolinabozzo.ca and it'll be right there when you get on the right website. There. Right there. And, and of course, where can we follow you? At Nicolina Bozzo on all platforms, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, all the things. All the things. All the things. <laughs> Nicolina, thank you so much for joining me and good luck. Thank you. If you missed any part of our show, please go to 1059theregion.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. I'm Ann Romer. Thank you for listening.